on today's episode, someone's wrestling paper of the Ben and Jamisa plus a mean podcast. Why do black women make the best CEOs? Q Elevation Beats. You still annoyed with me? Just a little bit. Is me asking questions about it making it worse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's keep going. It's going to be an interesting podcast. I mean, I mean, can you help us bringing it back? What was that? Season one? Season yeah. two? Mm-hmm. Season one? Like fifty episodes ago? Sixty? I don't think you did a very good job. Jimmy has been mad at me a lot since then. I, my services have not been requested. No, no, no. I mean, the work you did back then didn't seem to. It's a pay by month. I don't promise results longer than that. I don't think the results lasted longer than the episode. The pain, the payment bounced, so <laughs> so did the results. You got any jokes for us, I mean? None. Hmm. Jamisa? Any yeah. dad jokes? No jokes. Ben, do you have a dad joke for us? Sure I do, is. but I don't think Jamisa's in the mood <laughs> for them today. But our first story today is humorous in a very Ben and Amin type way. Oh, no. The problem is I lost the article, (laughs) so I can't cite where it is and everything, but there was a town in the Midwest that had built a new city hall. And as is the tradition of towns in America, they were trying to find an eligible white man to name the building after. And so everyone submitted their votes. And the winner was a previous mayor from like 50, 60 years ago, whose name was Harry Bulls. <laughs> and you tell me about this. And the town overwhelmingly selected Harry Bulls for the Harry Bulls City Hall. And the city refused to honor this vote. Despite there being a Harry Bowles Avenue located in the same town is that a real thing the avenue mm-hmm. <laughs> or road or something <laughs> lane i thought harry bulls avenue was the funniest of those yeah i think i'm gonna have to move mm-hmm. so, so you can tell your friends you live on harry bulls avenue mm-hmm. do you think you have to have harry bulls to live on harry bulls avenue i don't know if I there's can't. that much regulation <laughs> you don't think there's like a a pre-screen <laughs> What I don't, I think what's going to be a theme in this is how we constantly turn white men into heroes and name every aspect of our cities after them. And so today's episode, which is why do black women make the best CEOs, is a kind of a discussion of this. If you look around the town we live in, Jamisa and I talk about this all the time. Like, oh, there's another building. There's another street. There's another, uh, what do you call those things? Little social gathering spot named after another white fella. 
wasn't even subtle though i mean i, I wasn't gonna name the town but <laughs> fire away should, should i bleep it yeah bleep it <laughs> so i can't talk about confederate park you can say the town we live in <laughs> all right so the town that we're currently located in has a confederate park and i'm shocked that it's still named that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a black street and a white street mm-hmm. which was the actual divide oh yeah there's a black street then it's main street then it's white street Mm-hmm. What the? F- <laughs> so wow. come live out history and present day. So um, Jimmy's been kind of quiet on this so far. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in talking about hairy balls. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no need for me to. In, we weren't we talking about hairy balls. We were talking about Harry balls. Whatever. And Harry balls Avenue, sponsored by Manscaped. Yeah, <laughs> I have zero interest in. No, contributing no, no, to your conversation. What What was your thought when you came to <laughs> as a young twenty year old? Yeah. Wow. What the name? Oh, we'll block out the name. <laughs> we're not on. We're not on. Yeah, just take the name out. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying take the name out. I said we're not on any recording device anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your thoughts when you came to this town as a young twenty year old and saw these buildings and everything? You just kind of. Well, I think to the it. fact that the slogan for the town was "No room for racism" kind of just like. Mm-hmm. Let you know that there may be a little space. Yeah. I think they took those signs down, if I'm not they mistaken. They did. There might be a little crevice where mm-hmm. some racism is hidden. But these and are all the people the fact that, that they, they... like. They had the one of the um, uh, indigenous people, tribes, were suing the city because they kind of came in and like just started building. They like, wanted to build, and it was like this whole negotiation thing, and they were like, no, we're just going to sue you because they were just building like just kind of well, put I don't understand the story. Who was building? Uh, the city. Okay. Well, like just putting buildings up, and it was as if it was like the complete ownership of the land. Okay. Like the city, kind of like oh, they this is our recognizing land. Recognizing tribal mm-hmm. sovereignty. No, I'm with you now. And so the um, so they sued. They had to sue the city. And so a lot when I first moved here, a lot of things were un. They as much as it's developed over the last twenty years, it was nothing here. I think a Walmart which I was kind of shocked, but um, that there wasn't anything here. And it was for that reason. So, yeah. Well, I think the other thing that happened is a young Englishman by the name of Benjamin Motley moved to the area. And I was here before you, right? Yeah. 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 But since I moved to the area, oh, do you think they've developed just, greatly. Just mm-hmm. went crazy. Probably all of the, um, uh, what do they have? Breweries that they are developing now. Hey, I'm coming up on my six month anniversary of being sober curious. Yeah, but you've been here for how many years? <laughs> how many breweries have come up? Yeah, yeah, I may have sponsored a few of their mm-hmm. inaugural years. <laughs> mm. You did notice when I um, remember when I became sober curious, and one of the breweries shut down like a month later. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are they are shutting down. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, it was a, it was the last brewery. we did a brewery tour for its birthday. Which is actually the last time you had. I like how you drink. call it a brewery tour. Mm-hmm. I think most people call it a brewery crawl, but. crawl or whatever. And it was the last brewery we went to mm-hmm. before we headed home. The last and, brewery you went to, there was like three more breweries left on the list. That the rest oh yeah, of us well, I was to. done. It was the last brewery I went to that we were all that I hung out with y'all? Um, it is closing down. Mm-hmm. I think it's already closed down. It did. Yeah, without my financial support. <laughs> anyway, so. The article that I was discussing, if you want to go to um, 
We have a newsletter coming out about this by the time the podcast is out. The newsletter will be out. You can just go to the website, curiousbenconsulting.com, and go to the blog page, and you can learn about the article, and there's a link to it there. But a lady um, who is a professor at Bryant University, I believe her name was Professor Kumar, but I could be wrong, um, studied, I think it was a longitudinal study of CEOs. And she placed CEOs in the four categories, white men, white women, black men, black women, and studied their effectiveness over a long period of time. And her results were that black women made the best CEOs, followed by white women, followed by black men, followed by white men. And the theory that supports her findings would be intersectional identities and headwinds and tailwinds, and that different types of intersectional identities face different levels of headwinds, which would be obstacles, um, racist policies, internalized racism, systemic injustice, etc. And that a lot of people face tailwinds, such as white males, who receive these kinds of, what would you call it, fast lanes, Mm -hmm. fast track, um, up the CEO ladder. And so by the, by the time that black women made it into the C-suite and they had overcome far more obstacles, had been kind of trialed by fire and were therefore the best of the best compared to a lot of the white males who didn't have to experience quite so many challenges and trials to get into the same place. Is that what you guys remember from the article? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? At Three Trees, we have a black female CEO. Smart choice by the outgoing CEO, by the way. <laughs> Got to give the white male some credit. Oh, my God. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to. I can't speak for myself about, like, three trees. I think I'd have to ask you two. Hell, I mean, I mean, he's going he's gonna to be like, well, despite, maybe I suck. I don't know. Despite all the pink notes we've been getting from the bank, I think otherwise it's going okay. They're only pink because they're decorative. <laughs> Is that why we turn them into Christmas ornaments? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But what's your take outside of here, though, Jamisa? Like, you worked at different places, different organizations. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience working for white men versus um, working for white women or black men, black women? Were you surprised, by the way, that white women made the second and most effective CEOs as opposed to black men? Because this came up on the social media a lot when I was talking mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. People are like, are you really trying to say white women experience more headwinds? And I think the answer is in the workplace, perhaps. In, yeah, mm-hmm. in the workplace. Not outside versus, of the no. workplace, Mm-mm. for sure. But I think in the workplace, maybe. I think, and I'm trying to think about past uh, bosses that I've had. I had a, when I first got out of college, um, the person, I guess the director of the program that I worked at was black woman. Then it was a white male, two white males, and then you know, here. So I think with, I think there is a lot of, obviously you have to be perfect. So there has to be, just with the previous people, black woman that I worked for, like it was a lot of perfectionism, um, having to be on all the time and um, just like constantly having to show that like she's qualified to be in that position. So you would see where people may question it and then question her but then the people that were working under her, which were, I think maybe uh, 50% of our office were black, like she really pushed us. Like we were, you know, when we had to present things, um, 
to other organizations and agencies, like we had to be a hundred percent on it. And she, like she would not accept anything less than that. So like to the point, like if you are a minute late for work, she is, you know, she's on it and probably more so the black people, because we all were young um, than anyone else in the office. Like she had very high expectations for us. And I think initially I was like, oh my gosh, she's being so much, but I understand it now, you know, 20, that was in my twenties, early twenties. Um, now as someone in their late forties, I, I get it. Well, talk us through because that. Because I think for, for her is like anything that we did was a reflection. It wasn't like our reflection. Like it wasn't like, you know, our incompetence. It was on her. Like it was like our, we were her. It, it was perceived. And I saw this, like it was, it was like, it was her that was doing is it wasn't us if we messed up on something. So she really demanded that we like we came in a hundred percent all the time. And don't what you was think it really was deeper than that though? Don't well, think it was, was kind gonna, of mentoring and I think it was mentoring. Um but then I would see where like there was this example where um there was someone who was over her that was a white woman and her stereotype of us the lower level people was like, we were like these hood kids that just barely got out of college. And so when she would come and talk to my boss about like, if she, you know, thought we did something wrong, it would be like, for example, we had a company car. And so I don't lean back in my car. Like I'm very much like the old woman sitting on the steering wheel. And she happened to see me um, driving the company car. And she called my boss and was like, I saw Jamisa and she had her seat back, like leaned back with her arms stretched out. And it's like, and I was telling my boss, I was like, and she came and got on me. I'm like, you know, damn well, like, I don't, like, I'm like the old woman sitting under the steering wheel. But for her, it was like her, that this white woman saw this as a reflection of my boss. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting dynamic. Like, she always was like, she had like everyone, everything had to be perfect. And I don't know. And so in comparison to the white male bosses that I had, oh, no, they were slack as hell. Everybody else did their work. So what are some of the headwinds you think black women face in the organization that other people just don't have to? And just not you, the places you've been, but just in general, listening to friends talk. I think um, a perceived uh, incompetence. Um, maybe that there is, they're unorganized. Um, if they are coming in. Can you break down your days so we know who you're talking about? So if other PF black women, so if black women are coming in and they are, um, I don't know, like dominant, if you will. Um, so very much uh, direct in their communication, they're perceived as being angry. So the things we admire about white males. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So direct in communication, um, they, 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 people are often taken aback by that. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's a, it's a lot of a balance act of, um, one, I got to like, really, you can't always be yourself. So you're, you know, I can't come in and just talk how I want to talk. Like, because everything is, um, I don't think everything that you're doing is evaluated. So you want to break down what code switching is for people who may not be familiar with that? Yeah. So I think anything, how I would act if I'm at home. Um, so uh, the way that I may talk, um, body language that I may use if I'm in a place where I'm comfortable with friends or with family, that I, 
I'm much more cautious of that. And I think black women and black men, I think, are more cautious of that um, because we know what the perception would be. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, and not just um, in terms of like uh, dialogue or like or body language, but also like how I may dress. So, and I think it, probably here at Three Trees, it's very different because I think everybody kind of dresses casual. But if I was in another work setting, there is absolutely no way. I mean, was just telling me he was so impressed with his outfit today and he <laughs> just called it casual. That I, I would remember what I'm wearing. That I would go in. Hey, and, you both have uh, pinned your pants. Look at y'all. Yeah, like I wouldn't go into another place short. working like this. <laughs> I mean, looking like this because I know that like as a C, as an executive director, like I could not go and work anywhere else with what I have on. Because I think I would automatically be perceived as like, she doesn't know what the hell she's doing. However, your husband. You're a white male. Mm-hmm, that's you what can do whatever about. you want kind to. Kind of wanders around in a bunch of mm-hmm. um, Hawaiian swim shorts. Yeah, like there is no way I can go to um, some of the meetings that, I mean, and I have to go to with some shorts and flip flops on and a t-shirt on but, a Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Like they would be like, what is wrong? And anything that would come out my mouth at that point would be completely disqualified. Versus with me, it's like, there's that eccentric fella. Mm. And I still get admission. Yeah. And it's just off the, it's just off of the fact that you're white. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into intersectional identities a bit and headwinds and tailwinds. What are the different types of identities that make up your intersectional identity? And people at home can play along. So let's start with gender males tend to have the most access mm-hmm. followed by females followed by people who are non-binary intersex mm-hmm. etc so where do the two of you fall on that uh ben's phone's ringing where do we fall that wasn't one of the categories so woman right female male all right Next up is um, color. So white people tend to be in the middle. And then uh, as you go further out on the identity, skin becomes darker. Mm-hmm. Do you two want to stand next to each other and we'll pick? What? <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick who, who's further out on the spectrum. So you would be considered darker. Darker. A meme. I mean, then I mean. Yeah. I don't know what I'd be considered. Somewhere there. And I'd be right in the center there. I'm trying to think what would put you on his color he, spectrum. He called me cocky, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next up, neurodiversity. Um, no neurodiversity would give you the most access. Hmm. Some neurodiversity, a lot of neurodiversity. So I'd probably fall under some. Jimmy, some. Yes, yeah, some for sure. Okay. Weight. Huh? People who fit societal standards hmm. of body tend to be given more access. Oh, okay, that's true. Where do you each fall on this? I think How I'm would the I know? epitome of society's desired standard. Hmm. I think average? I don't know. Yeah, so, like sometimes that. I'll just be walking down the street and noticing how many people are trying to undress me with their eyes. Probably everybody. Mm-hmm. Are you doing it right now, I mean? Always, as, since you walked in. Well, where's HR when you need him? You are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the HR? No, yeah. Wow. 
All right. So there's that one. Age. And we tend to give people with youth a lot more access. Oh, yeah. Mm. Then people are older. So Jimmy says the furthest one out on this spectrum. <laughs> or as a year difference. English as a primary language in this country tends to give you a lot more mm-hmm. access. Is English your first language, I mean? I don't know. I think. Did you grow up speaking kind of like French and English? And Arabic, yeah. All three together? Mm-hmm. You know how they say about Spanglish, like mixing the two? Yep, definitely a lot of whatever. What would that be called when you're mixing Arab French? Arab Franglish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right, so we're all kind of on on the close there. Education, the higher your education level, the more access you're typically given. Oh, that would be a mean... Mm-hmm. No, I felt that last part. He, he dropped out. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, the both of us. Um, yeah, yeah I think we're both ahead of me, actually, yeah. when it comes to formal education. Mm-hmm. I was a little further than you until I was asked to no longer participate in that program. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Um, poverty. Whether you have enough money um, to not worry about bills, whether you live uh-huh. month to month. Or whether you um, don't have enough money mm. to cover bills. You can look at your house situation. Whether you own a house, whether you rent, whether you are homeless. Mm-hmm. So you can keep going and going and going with these. Um, I think generational wealth is another big one. Mm-hmm. Because I think when your parents don't have money and you're covering both your parents and your own kids, that creates a lot more pressure. All right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the idea of intersectional identity is to kind of go through these. And so you'll often hear, like when we talk about white privilege, some white dude somewhere is going to be like, well, I grew up poor, so I don't have white privilege. And they're not recognizing intersectional identity. Mm -hmm. They're not kind of checking out, okay, you can be white and grow up poor. So you have white privilege, you just don't have financial privilege. Mm -hmm. And intersectional identity is all about addressing those. People at the close to the circle, go go to the website and you can kind of see the graphic, um, tend to get the most access. So that tends to be white, heterosexual, cis males with high education, with a house, with zero neurodiversity, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and I think people equate that to intelligence. Mm-hmm. And confidence. Mm-hmm. Remember the uh, rat test that we've talked about on previous episodes when the rats who would grow up in an environment without obstacles had a lot of confidence? Mm-hmm. And the rats who were often punished um, grow up without that confidence and then when they put them in water um, the rats with the confidence would be able to swim to safety whereas the rats had been punished the whole time often gave up and so it talks a lot about how we as humans are kind of conditioned to believe we're going to succeed and how we evaluate risk and don't evaluate risk um, but it's a really interesting study I need to find the link to that but in the link tree so as we look at this, we start to get this sense, right, that people like Jamisa, you and I have both been the CEO of Three Trees. But for me to get there, I may not have faced the same headwinds mm-hmm. that you had to to face there. And if we look at our lives, it's so evident, right? Like my undergraduate was paid for. Mm-hmm. You had to kind of scrape and save and do all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was expected of me to go to college. Like everyone in my family had been to college. Uh, my parents knew how to guide me to that, knew how to guide me through the application process, all that kind of stuff. Whereas for you, I think you had to figure it out. Yeah, to figure that out on my own. As you want. And so you just kind of keep looking at each of these steps of the way. And when we look at job interviews, you see the same type of research supporting this, where people are going to give a white male such as myself much more favorable 
Um, you talk about the first time you met me, and I was wearing some Goodwill three-piece suit, mm-hmm. which, by the way, was stunning. But I remember wearing that to a lot of job interviews and stuff at the job, even looking like a madman. Um, and a lot of that was probably just like white male confidence. Mm-hmm. That at the time, that I think a lot of white males see it as their own uniqueness. Like, look at me. Mm-hmm. I can get in these doors. I had these relationships. I had a friend recently. She's a black female. One of her friends from college was a white male. And they both graduated with a health care administration degree, bachelor's level. He is now an engineer in an engineering firm. Didn't get any other education because his buddy worked there. And so she's like, well, can I get a job there? And he's like, well, you're not an engineer. And she's like, yeah, neither are you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, but my fr- I knew my friend. And I don't think we realize how much of that mm-hmm. happens. And then if you look at the towns like where we live, and you have this black street and this white street, and how all these social groups are set up along race lines, you start to see how these opportunities mm-hmm. are divided up. And then if you take a look at cities like um, Tulsa and Oklahoma, or Wilmington, and you see that areas that did have thriving black communities were targeted by white communities and destroyed, you start to see all these headwinds pick up in mm-hmm. terms of generational income and things like that. So, what is the solution? So now we know that black women make the best CEOs, but it comes at the price of them having the most stress, the most adversity in their work life. How do we move forward? That's the question. I don't know. I think that people are very um, steeped in their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, just gener- generalizations about, and I'm going to be specific and say black women. Um, I think black men, um, though, and I'm not by no means minimizing their struggles that they have in a workplace, but I think in comparison to a black woman, a black man is more likely to be able to kind of fit in to what's happening in an office and they are more um, able to kind of rub elbows with people that are in higher positions than black women and go golfing and Mm -hmm. go drinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not a black man, but you would self-identify as a brown man. Mm -hmm. Do you think what Jamisa is saying is accurate from your perspective? Yeah, for sure. Cause I still have the opportunity to be one of the guys. Mm -hmm. So what's your take on all this? as you've seen it from your own intersectional identity? I think it makes sense that uh, the more challenges you have to face to get there, the better you are going to be at your job. And that's what the data is kind of showing too, right? So, you know, a black woman CEO, the amount of headwinds she's had to face to get to that point, she's going to take the job more seriously. And, you know, like uh, Jamiso was saying about her previous boss, care about every aspect of that job or someone who just kind of got it Kind of like in the example you said with the guy who got a job because his friend gave it to him, he's not going to value it the same way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it just speaks but to not only that. Happen. Like, I think the black woman is going to be so much more talented because she's had to jump through so many more. Hoops. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I think, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and it doesn't just start with the job. Like, um, I think growing up, mm-hmm. there is a lot of perfection. Like, and I, and I think I'm guilty of this a little bit with our own kids, is there is a lot of um, perfectionism, I think, that's being instilled growing up as a as a, a black woman, a black girl. And is, you talked about that before, right? How, like, a lot of black girls are treated differently than black boys mm-hmm. in the home. So with schoolwork, 
Um, like, you know, if, if, if things weren't written neatly, if my mom didn't, you know, I would have to do it over again. Um, if things were done in the house, they had to be done like perfection. Like it had to be done a certain way or I had to do it over again. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't like, Oh, you didn't make your bed up correctly. It's okay. It's like, no, you need to do this over again. You didn't, you know, so it was constantly instilled that you have to be great at literally everything that you did. And so I was, uh, there is no way I was going to go to school and like talk in class and someone called my mom to tell her this, that was going to be a problem. So Mm -hmm. everything was about like having to be perfect. Um, And with our daughter, though I have not as um, hard on her in that way than I was growing up, you, I know that I do it probably in a very indirect way because she's very much about like having, you know, to this morning she was talking about a test that she had, which is an open book test. And she's like, I think I'm going to fail this test. I'm like, but you have all the notes like literally sitting here in front of you. You went over it with your teacher, but you start to see this perfectionism that she has. And I don't know if, you know, and everything is about like having to be like, she has to show that she's good enough. So there is a Forbes article that I read that was written in, uh, 2022 by Dana. I mean, and I don't read outdated research. Brownlee. And it was about uh, black women as, um, excuse me, executive positions in like corporate America. And what, and she was saying that black women make really good CEOs or um, executives because we are ambitious. Um, We are able to persevere, master chameleon, which we were talking about, like the whole code switching thing. Um, Very just organizationally uh, savvy and just resilience in education. And again, it kind of supports what I was saying about as a child, like you're constantly pushed to like for these very same things, for these uh, characteristics. Um, And so I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what the thought processes with, I guess, parents, black parents who are black parents who are raising their children, um, who push for them to kind of like to thrive. And I think they know when I see this now, like what the what they may come against, what's our, what our kids may um, encounter as they, you know, if it's getting into um, college level classes when they're in high school or, you know, what is an IB program, like all these things that would, um, that could potentially push them back. And so you're constantly kind of just pushing and encouraging them to really work hard. Um, and, you know, Ben and I've talked about this with the feedback that we get from the teachers with our kids. Um, and, and I don't know, and I can only talk about this, I guess, with our kids in comparison to children of another race, um, about how they speak about like our daughter versus our son mm-hmm. and um, what, you know, what the positive feedback may be about the both of them. Uh, but in the article, they ta- um, they were saying that 40 percent of women and black women in executive positions. Um, this is really interesting. Are often mistaken for someone at the lowest level, like an entry level position. Wow. We see that with doctors a lot Isn't too, right? Interesting? Like black doctors, mm-hmm. they'll say, oh, are you the nurse? Are you the... Mm-hmm. Yep. It says one of three black women um, have been denied or passed over for advancement because of the characteristics of race and gender. Uh, 55% of their judgment, uh, 55%, um, I guess, of the women who they spoke with um, talk about black women, that their judgment is constantly in question. Um, Jimmy, I, so I don't think that's true. <laughs> 
whatever. Sorry. What I thought was really interesting, there was a, uh, within this article, they pulled some data from a JP Mortgage article, um, and it said from 2014 to 2019, there was a 50% increase in women and Black-owned um, businesses by women. And they were saying because of um, just the, I guess, uh, the lack of support that Black exec- executives have been getting in um at their jobs, that they just went out and just started their own businesses. But what's even more interesting about this is that the women who started their own businesses, they made a significant, their annual income was significantly less than other women um, that were not black that started their own businesses. So the numbers, according to JP Morgan, was that um, uh, the average salary of a woman starting her own business who's not black, $142,900 annually. That's their annual income, salary or whatever. Compared to black women, $24,000 first year starting their business. Isn't that interesting? interesting? And they're saying that what's happened is that they don't have the capital to start. There isn't anyone that's willing to come in and help them support support them for the overhead uh, black women compared to other women. So that's really interesting. I mean, where's your your research? I did some. It was mainly on the number and the percentages of uh, white versus minority CEOs and then breaking down what those minority CEOs are. And so uh, the percentage of racial minority CEOs in America. Are we going to discuss the use of pink sticky notes here? I told you it's decorative. The bank statements were good. They were just pink because we like it. (laughs) Those aren't the bank notes, are they? Hope not. No comment. <laughs> All right. So uh, racial minority CEOs in America, 14.3% out of those uh, black CEOs are make up 5.9% of all CEOs in America. Of all CEOs in America that are female, that's 6.9%. And then black female CEOs, 1.1%. And so there are only two black women now that are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's increased. I know. Yeah. Oh, it was three, and then I think no somebody who was a males are feeling so threatened these days. So uh, the one, the CEO of is it SAIC? I think I looked it up to find out what that is. Um, it is Science Application International Corporation, and that is Tony Towns Whitley. And then um, shout out to Tony Towns Whitley. <laughs> And the Shonda Brown Duckett is the CEO of TIAA. Okay. Huh. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So those of us who um, are fortunate enough to work with black women in the workplace or be supervised by black women, why don't we provide some tips and guidance for ways to make their life easier? Go ahead, you two. Not the person working with the mm. black woman. I worded that terribly. Oh, I was like, yeah, go but, ahead and tell me how to make my life easier. Make it easier for the black uh, <laughs> female. Number one, do not touch her f***ing hair. That should be a given. It should yeah. be. The number of black women I work with who white co-workers are still trying to touch their hair. Sheesh. It is probably the number one complaint I get in consulting <laughs> sessions is why do white people always try to touch my hair? Goodness. But I think it goes beyond that. Like I hear a lot of black women talk about how they get objectified at work. Not like sexual objectification, but overall objectification like, oh, Jamisa, you did your hair differently Mm -hmm. and like feeling like it's okay to comment on the physical appearance. Um, Some of the comments on the social media post I put up too talked about 
um, black women saying it doesn't matter what outfit they wear, it always gets comments. Hmm. And it's always like those passive aggressive comments mm-hmm. like, oh, you look so urban <laughs> and like racist <laughs> like that. And so it's these constant microaggressions. Mm-hmm. So I think a good advice for working with anyone is do not comment on any type of physical appearance, clothing, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Num- number two, stop telling black women to smile. Oh, that pisses me off. And it's like that bigger picture of tone policing, right? Mm-hmm. Of like white men only being comfortable around black women when they're smiling and like perceived as being happy mm-hmm. and engaged. And white men getting so nervous whenever it's any other kind of uh, body language or facial language. And I, yeah, I agree with that. I have stopped that, I think, over the last few years. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to go in and just be like, oh my gosh, how are you doing today? Like, but that's the pressure, right? Mm-hmm, it is. And you'll see people like, hi, how are you? And it's like, I'm good. Or, girl, what's going on? You talking about white people talking to yeah, you? Yeah, like, oh, drives me nuts. There's a certain store in town, right? Ooh, Whenever you walk in. Oh, my gosh. In. They, have, they have, I think, the people that <laughs> work there that did that no longer work there. But that is so incredibly annoying. It's like you don't talk like that around other people. Please don't do it with me. But do you think there's pressure on black women to make other people comfortable? All the time. And so you're, when people are telling you, could you smile more? What they're really saying is, I need you to make me comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Number three, and this kind of goes back to what we're talking about, but amplify the voices of black women. So if you're in a meeting and there's a black woman in there, make sure her voice is amplified. Make sure she has enough space to talk. Make sure she doesn't get interrupted. Make sure people don't talk over her. Make sure people don't dismiss her comments. Really make sure you use your platform to amplify her voice. Mm-hmm. You agree, Jamisa? I agree. And with that, I will also say that if you're talking about something and it's like about race or like a black person situation and it's the only black person in the room, do not turn around and then look at the black person and be like, <laughs> explain this to me. Like, it, yeah, don't do that. As if you're going to be like the black, you know, I don't know, Wikipedia walking mm-hmm. around and supposed to have all this information. Number four, don't pull a Steve Carell. You know, like The Office, and it always go to the black employees and it's like try to talk about black issues with them. Yeah, yep. Um, so let's talk about regular stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Treat them as though they were human. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, um, but I think this goes for so much. Like not changing your own language, not changing your own words, not changing the types of things you would talk about. Just be yourself mm-hmm. and allow them to be themselves. Number five, don't be selfish. Give up your own opportunities for promotion to a black woman. Oh, you know that's never going to happen. Because if you and her are in the running for it and you're a white male, she's going to be far more talented. Because to even get that interview, she had to be far more talented than you anyway. And I know what you're saying, Jamisa, but there are a few people out there who recognize this and supported black women in taking their spot. Well, if there is anyone, a white male or female, that is going to listen to this and have done this, they need to like email us. and Because I, I don't think that people will do that. I think it's very unlikely. But 
I think more and more we can start recognizing when we are hiring people, if I've got these two people in front of me and one of them's a black female, she probably had to do a lot more to get into this interview. Mm -hmm. And I know the white males are going to get so upset by this because they're already very emotionally fragile. But my friends who work in corporate often talk about that. Like there's like the level of mediocrity that is in upper management is ridiculous. You know, and they talk, you know, I have a friend who she will work 10, 12 plus hours, um, you know, work days on weekends and will still have and still be, be looked over for someone else who they then have to train because they don't know how to do their job. And, you know, there is con- it's a constant conversation about just absolute like they're like, I don't understand how this person is like almost next to like the CFO. Or CEO, and they don't know how to do their job. Um, I remember um, being in contact with someone, this is years ago, and they told me how they moved up in the ranks in their position as a white male um, and didn't have, they didn't have any of the qualifications. I don't even know, like looking at their resume, there is. That was a private story between (laughs) you and I. There is no way they should have gotten into the positions that they had. And they admitted that all of the work that they did was their secretary did it for them. So reports that they had to generate, um, that they data that they had to collect to then send to CEOs or CFOs, they didn't do it. And I've seen this in other um, workplaces that I have worked in prior to going into private practice is the very same thing. Like the secretaries would be the one that would be presenting information with, you know, the director just signed off on it. I think at this point, this would be considered, um, what's the word? And something work conditions. Huh? The level of heat in this room that you have it up to. It is not hot. Are you hot? I mean, Mm-mm. yeah. Are, do you have a fever? No. It's my, not that hot. My nipples are sweating. It's so hot. Oh, my Lord. There's a nice little visual for the listeners. I mean, can you see any nipple marks through my sweatshirt yet? Where the moistness is just creeping through? Oh, man. But yeah, I, I think a lot of um, people's uh, black women's competency is often questioned. Um, and I think it's just all the time. And you and I see that all the time, right? Like if we're going to buy a car, if we're going mm-hmm. to the bank, they'll kind of look past you to me. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother, who's a white fellow. I was going to say the same. My sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Married to a, Sherling. a woman from Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Um, experienced the same thing constantly. Yeah. She said they, this is recent that she talked about this. Like well, they were, all the time too when they first moved to America. Yeah. And, and now where they live, um, that she's like, they, even at a restaurant anywhere, she's like, they will, she'll ask for something and they will look at her husband and answer and will not give her any but eye contact. They did move to Germany though, which <laughs> doesn't have a great track record of supporting diversity <laughs> next to America. Right. But I don't know, I, I feel like um, hopefully there'll be some shifts that people will be able to look at, not just, you know, I felt like I'm about to say something like Martha, but the color of your skin versus the content of your character, but I hope people will be able to look past that. But I think the level, I, what I see now is um, it's just the directness. Like if I'm giving a direct response, if I'm talking to someone very directly and I'm not doing the whole like, hey, ba ba ba. Um, it is interesting, like the the response that I get, even through body language, 
uh, the way that people may respond is like very, they, you can just tell they're tense mm-hmm. versus if I come in and I'm just like, you know, super jovial, which I, and at this point, like I said, in my life, I'm just not going to do that anymore. One of the things I want to address too is like, is these white males who are going to flip out about this stuff and be like, it's so difficult being a white male. Like, look at affirmative action. And so I think it's really interesting about all the conversation white males have about affirmative action, but none of them talk about ALDC admissions. Mm -mm. And so for those of you listening who aren't sure what ALDC admissions are, it's the people who give preferred admission status based on being an athlete, a legacy on the donor list, Mm -hmm. or being a child of faculty or staff. Mm -hmm. At Harvard University, um, in a study back in 2022, 60, I think it was like 62% of white students benefited from ALDC admission status. Mm-hmm. And yet we never hear that. We never hear this protesting about it. We never hear this lawsuits about it. And a lot of the universities are changing, especially their um, alumni. Because they're, they're getting sued for this now. Mm-hmm, and their legacy type lists. But um, you just don't hear conversations. So that's an example of how white people will have outrage about any area where they think some sort of privilege is taken away from them but completely overlook all the privileges they're receiving. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear us talking about this, like when you hear us saying like, hey, if you're in an interview and the other person is a, is a black woman, maybe give up your spot. You hear them just falling the f*** out. Mm-hmm. Because to them, that's like, no way, I got it. It's like, you did, did how you? hard did you work? Did you really? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a friend of ours talking about um, their husband, um, was saying, you know, how hard he'd worked and if he had had all the privileges that this other person in town had had, how much more successful their business would have been. It would have been like theirs. And the individual had no understanding or no awareness of how much privilege they had had just to get right. there. Mm-hmm. Right. And you just see this constantly. Like, I think white males have a tendency to look at how difficult their life is versus, like, they tend to overemphasize their headwinds and completely underestimate the tailwinds that get them to where they are. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, even here... Is is Amin even doing this podcast with us or is he playing games on his phone? I have to listen. There's not a place where I could, I think, input too much of my own maleness. How come? I feel like that's the thing with uh, subjects like this is when you haven't had the experience, you just have to listen and learn from it and kind of move forward. I'm talking a lot. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of time here um, at our office, I think a lot of people think that Amin is the executive director. They they would make that assumption. Is it because of his executive director t-shirt and hat? Probably. Yeah, his business card that says that. (laughs) License plate. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) big sign at the. And a lot of it is maybe intentional in some ways, um, or kind of just how things work. But I think with a lot of the organizations that the people that I mean have contact with would have are would be more inclined to have conversations with him mm. about what's happening than with me. And so he does a lot of the phone calls, he and Kathy and talking to people mm-hmm. um, instead of myself. Yeah. And I'm fine with that, but it's, it's really interesting. I don't think that, he, you know, if there's, uh, he's gone to meetings recently and he's the person that is the face of three trees. What a beautiful face it is to me. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I always have to kind of feel like remind people it's like, oh yeah, I'm not the boss Jamisa is and stuff like that. So yeah, it's something that, you know, it's subtle but it leads into something so many I've issues. never had to remind our kids at home. <laughs> Who's the boss? <laughs> Who's the mm-hmm. boss? 
In fact, they will tell me when I'm giving them instructions, like, uh, mom's the boss. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. No, With well, that look of fear in their eyes. What's really interesting that Ben constantly, he complains about this, right? He's like, the kids don't listen to me. But if he I wants to. I don't complain the- that the kids don't listen to me. I complain that if I give them like an instruction and you've given them a different one, they will refuse my instruction. (laughs) (laughs) And they look terrified at the idea of crossing you. So what's interesting, though, is I will hear hear Ben tell the kids like, oh, if you don't do that, mom's going to come and get you. You're going to be in trouble. And it's like, (laughs) well, yeah, they are going to listen. I never said such a thing. Dude, I heard you say it this week. Like, you need to stop because mom's about to come in here. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I've said such a thing. I'm like, hell, they don't listen to you. I may have said black mama's about to come in here. <laughs> but not mom's about to come in here. Whatever. Um, so I think an interesting way to kind of finish this episode off is you talked about code switching. Mm-hmm. And I think a conversation we all need to have is about neurodiversity in the workplace and how you have many of these same kind of headwinds when you're not socially acceptable due to your neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. And Amin and I were just watching a video of this news anchor who's obviously incredibly high social skills interviewing this kid who won a spelling bee who may or may not (laughs) be on the autism spectrum, but my guess is... They may be. be. Okay. (laughs) I'd bet a lot of money. Yeah. And she's like, so were you surprised by the win? He's like, no. I've been studying for years and years. This is the natural conclusion to that studying and she like almost starts to Mm -hmm. shame him a little bit Mm -hmm. because she's awkward Mm -hmm. and i think this is what happens with race with Mm -hmm. any type of headwind or tailwind Mm -hmm. the people who have all the tailwinds shame other people for not behaving like them Mm -hmm. and i love going into work environments when i have the opportunity and see organizations take advantage of all this diversity where you had this neurodiversity, um, cultural diversity, gender diversity, age diversity, because you're going to have so much more valued input. You're going to be able to make such better decisions when you're supportive and welcoming of it. So people will be like, oh, we're just shooting for diversity. That is not helpful. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to embrace and make the most of that diversity, Mm -hmm. find meaningful ways for that diversity to get communicated into an organizational message and into a vision. And so I think it was interesting just watching that little news clip and – she was kind of just like mean mm-hmm. and like using a lot of passive aggressive humor and like, well, this isn't going very well. And he didn't understand why. No. Because he was just answering the He's questions. Like, I just answer these questions. And I just wanted to interrupt <laughs> and be like, excuse me, lady, can you talk to him with a bit more respect? Mm-hmm. But I think that's been um, the experience of many people who are neurodiverse. And then if you have an intersectional identity where you're neurodiverse and black and female, it just goes on. And, on, and, and historically, um, I mean, there's a book that I'm reading now that talks, uh, one part of the book is talking about, it's about race, but um, about how black women have always been perceived from 16, 17, 1800s as like the lowest of the low, right? So she talked about how even you talked about like a white male, like um, people, a, a white person that may be a white male that may be like, I was you know, poor and I, you know, not I don't get these privileges. And she the author talked, spoke about how that was, in fact, true. Right. So back in like 1800s or whatever, white poor white males worked alongside black people um, a lot of times. Sorry, like during Jim Crow with sharecropping and these different things. But what they did is that they started giving some of them land. So like, you're poor. But you get some land. 
So you're so, and it's almost like pivoting. Like, um, and you get a college grant to learn how to work the land. Mm-hmm. And, and when you come back from war, you get the GI benefits. Right. And, and so it automatically puts them in a higher position than the poor black person, though, you know, in terms of money, they're, they're still the same. we can go on and on with this, right? Because mm-hmm. that's how suburbia happened in America, mm-hmm. was the GI Bill created opportunities for white people to buy a house, to go to college, created all these special loan programs. And even though it was a federal program, it was distributed locally. Mm-hmm. So the local branches doing this could place all these roadblocks preventing black people mm-hmm. from accessing these same opportunities. So suburbia, when it exploded, was all white for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And so when she talks about... and, and so they, a little knowledge over here. So they talked about that with white men. They say, and think about the black woman who's always been um, like positioned in like the help, right? They're all, they're the nannies. They're always going to be in a position that's considered the lowest of the low. And it has historically has always been that way. So back again to what we were talking about, like what makes a good CEO um, as a black woman, like why did they, you know, why did that article come out? Um, the very same things that we talked about, like how we're raised is that I think as a mom, as a black mom, you're like, I know what could happen. Like or my mom, who grew up on a sharecropping farm, was like, "Oh yeah, we you can't do this, and so you're not going to be the maid." Or you, you know, it's like we I'm going to push you further um, to really to to not be in the, that particular position. That's so distracting. Sorry, and I don't know. I mean, did and you and I talked about this, and this is several, um, probably a couple seasons ago. That you spoke about, like your parents really pushed you guys to mm-hmm. like perfection. I'm sure your sister the same way, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think kind of like what you said, though, I, the important thing with, you know, job stuff and the work life stuff, I think the bigger divide, it might be between men and women mm-hmm. than it is, you know, the because I do feel like I can talk to some white uh, finance bros and get into some conversations and really network and eventually be accepted. And I don't know if my sister would ever be able to you do that. You had the vest and the plaid shirt and the khaki pants. But I could oh. do that, right? And so I would be oh, the brown guy in their went, group, mm-hmm. right? And your sister but, couldn't. And they would, not only would she be, you know, a brown person, but also a woman, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're not very kind to women in general with mm-hmm. these things. And so, yeah, it's predominantly male. And so that, and that's why I'm always quiet in these conversations because it's like, yeah, it really is we need to shut up a little bit and let, mm-hmm. you know, uh, other people who've worked harder, you know, see the fruits of their labor a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's, com- it's complicated. And I can't imagine what your experience is in the work life. Because I do think a lot of times we relate with the minority experience in a lot of other places. But in the workplace, I mean, I've seen, I've had a very limited uh, professional career so far. But you see it constantly where the male voices are dominant. They cater to other male voices mm. and the women, they'll even talk like, they'll be like, yeah, the women in this office are crazy. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like, what are you talking about? I've Jimmy, known so you if two you weeks. Keep it down a little bit. I'm trying to listen to what I mean right now. <laughs> but they'll do that within like two weeks of knowing you. Mm-hmm. And that'll be like a male bonding thing. And if I really mm-hmm. I- I interact well in that conversation, I might get promoted quickly. So if you drop a few sexist bombs of your own, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, oh, my wife, I got to go back to the old ball and chain. It's like, that's what I call mine. <laughs> hey, beautiful. You might have to relocate to Harry Balls Avenue. He will. <laughs> it's my permanent residence. I'm done. All right. Those of you who are interested in continuing this conversation, head over to CuriousBenConsulting.com. 
and you can enjoy our blog on there sign up for the newsletter these are all the things we talk about join us on tiktok instagram i think it's the curious ben curious ben who knows just look for the yellow logo with a handsome face on it there you go and i hope everyone has a good week bye